everyone, and welcome to episode 164 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and I'm joined again today by Richard. How's it going this week, Richard? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Ah, not much. Ready to talk some magic. So this week's a little bit weird. We're in this strange lull. Dominaria spoilers start in two days officially. So we're going to be hitting that up starting next week. But for this week, we have a few different topics. Starting with, we're going to talk some modern. There was a big modern GP over the weekend, GP Phoenix. There's some MTG Arena news that came out recently. We're going to talk about a conversation that's been going on over the last couple days about cheating and magic and what should happen when people get caught cheating in magic, and then, of course, wrapping things up with fish mail. So, Richard, let's start off with Modern. Did you catch any of the GP or keep up on the list of the GP over the weekend? Uh, I mean, I I saw the results, and I saw greatness at any cost. (laughs) (laughs) Justice, if you you will, uh, a bob killed its owner. Uh... (laughs) And my heart goes out to all Jun players because it's all, it always happens. You know, he's the most important match ever, and you want to just run or run or run lands, but you're like, oh, turns out when you put four Bloodbraid Elves in your deck, <laughs> things don't look as well. So, so yeah, greatness at any cost. You you win some and you lose some. But, I never yeah. feel bad when that happens to a Jun player. Like, if you're going to get to draw an extra card for free every turn, starting on turn two, you deserve to die every once in a while. Like, that is that is the cost. <laughs> it was like there was a period of time where people played, like, one Tastiger in their deck, or one, uh... What, what was the old Tastiger? The Future oh, Sight uh, one. Oh, uh... Tombstalker. Tombstalker, yeah. And then, of course, the minute you put in your deck, the first bomb flip, it shows up. And you're like, ah, there's only one here. But, I mean, it happens a lot. Jun plays... The curve is a lot higher than it used to be. You're playing four Lilianas, if not five, and you're playing four Bloodbraid Elves now. Plus, you have, like, a random Maelstrom Pulse of Colgan's commands in there. The Jun curve has been pushing it recently, so... So Bob bites back sometimes. Like, is there any, you're a Jun player, is there any even thought in your mind of like, oh, if I'm going to play all this four mana and three mana stuff, I maybe shouldn't play Bob? Or is it just literally so good that the greatness is worth the cost? I used to like Grim Flayer a lot when Jun wasn't popular. Grim Flayer is great against unfair decks because he always hits, like they don't have blockers. Uh, You can dig through to get your sideboard cards and kind of get there, but... Now that everyone's playing Jun, you you can't attack past the Tarmacoif with a Grim Flayer, so you don't want to just sit there and twiddle your thumbs. You kind of need to play Bob to keep drawing cards. So uh, with this meta, you kind of currently have to accept greatness at any cost. It's so funny that we were not that long ago, like uh, a month ago maybe, talking about the fall of Tarmogoyf and how it was so crazy that Tarmogoyf went from the card in modern to pretty much unplayable. And now like a month later, it's right back on the top. Everyone's playing Goyves again. Everyone's playing Jun. So uh, funny enough, my, my results have been exactly the same, if not worse. <laughs> and, you know, Every league is a 3-2 or a 2-3 because... Uh, you either run into a Jace deck, which is hard, or you just run into other Jun decks, but people are getting smart. They're like, everyone's playing Jun, so, you know, I'll play Hazaret, and uh, you, you just simply cannot kill Hazaret as a Jun player uh, unless it's their only creature and you have a Liliana, or you run into Lingering Souls and things, so uh, Jun is still 50-50. <laughs> it's, it's actually really hard to win with Jun. It's not 
even if people are playing it more, it's not like it's suddenly the best deck or anything. It's kind of just, eh, like Bloodbraid gives you a little more push in some of your bad matchups, but uh, Jace, Jace is still good. I still don't want to see a Jace across the table. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jund is just like 50-50 forever, it seems like. No matter what cards you play, what matchups you play, like it's just always roughly, like maybe when it's bad, it drops down to like 47%, and then when it's good, it's like 53%, but <laughs> that's just how Jund works. So apart from Jund, what were your takeaways from the tournament? Anything stick out to you from GP Phoenix? Uh, a lot of humans. Humans are still pretty good. I, yeah. I, I thought humans would be slightly worse given that everyone's playing Jund, but apparently not. Apparently Thalia, and if you name your meddling mages on the right thing and you reflect your mage some Tarmogoyce, it's good to go. But I really like the humans. Like, I actually want to try it out. I mean, and I think so far the narrative has been Bloodbraid, great, Jace, eh, hasn't really taken off yet. But if you look at the numbers, like the breakdown of the most played cards from GP Phoenix as far as the top 32 decks, uh, Bloodbraid came in 10th as far as creatures with 20 copies. Jace the Mind Sculptor, 9th as far as non-creatures with 20 copies. So it seems like maybe this is the tournament where Jace is finally like starting to find his footing a little bit. We saw multiple, I believe, taking turn deck, uh, taking turns decks make it. We saw uh, Blue Moon really kind of rise to the top, multiple Blue Moon decks, Blue White Control. So it seems like maybe Jace is finally, people are starting to figure it out. Like, Blood Raid is just so easy because Jund was a deck with Blood Raid in Modern before. So you're just like, oh, I dust off my Jund deck, throw Blood Raid in, and I'm good to go. But Jace, I think it took a little while for people to figure it out, but I think we're starting to get there as far as people figuring it out. Yeah, and I think people are learning how to brainstorm better. Like, when you cascade with Bloodbraid, uh, like, yes, I'm going to cast my spell. Like, how many times do you actually decline? Like, maybe 1% where you get Thoughtseize and your opponent's empty-handed, you decline to cast it, but you always cast a spell off Bloodbraid. Whereas Jace, learning how to brainstorm is going to take a while. Uh, you can read through people's, you know, 10... 10 article series on how to brainstorm in Legacy <laughs> and still not know what you're doing. So I think as time goes on, people will get better with Jace and then you'll see him, you know, perform slightly better. I forgot, speaking of Jace and Bloodbraid, I forgot how tilting Bloodbraid is. If, like, the randomness of the Cascade effect... It is so brutal when they hit the perfect card, because you're like, oh, I know you have Thought Seizes and Inquisitions that are just dead cards, but, oh, of course you're going to hit that Maelstrom Pulse to kill my best thing, or you're <laughs> going to kill that hit that Lightning Bolt to kill me. It is so, oh man, it is so tilting for some reason. I don't know why, those random effects just drive me crazy, and I think it's like, it's just got to be a psychological thing. You remember those bad beat stories more than all the times that they do whiff with it, but Bloodbraid Elf has definitely been super sweet. You're, Did you you're notice... on the wrong side of Blood Raid Elf, because whenever I do it, it's like Inquisition <laughs> on a Hellbent opponent, yeah. Lilian of the Veil, and they have the lightning bolt in hand, because you can bolt her before you can plus one her, so she dies, and oh, you're just like, thanks, yeah. Blood Raid. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> at, at least it's a 3-2 with Haze. That's or, or then they flash in Snapcaster, you're like, great, <laughs> thanks, Blood Raid. Can't even get through Mr. Snappy here. <laughs> no, so he's still you... good, though. Or she's still did good. You... Did you notice that Eggs is back? Ironworks combo almost, almost took down the whole thing. Made it to the semifinals. Oh, man. Oh, please. No it's so, eggs. 
It's so miserable. I I thought, like, I had seen people playing it, like, at the Pro Tour and at GPs, but it wasn't putting up, like, those high-end finishes. So I was like, all right, maybe it's just, like, I don't know, the one of those decks that people are kind of trying out, but it's not going to get there. But it feels like it's getting there. And, man, I don't know if there's a less fun deck to play against in all of Modern. Like, I would rather get just lantern locked i think then i would lose to <laughs> Kirk clan all really I, we, need, we need like an average match time between these two decks i i think ironworks is probably faster than lantern i guess i will say like maybe the upside of these new builds is because it has scrap trawler now when the scrap trawler comes down you can kind of look at the graveyard and be like oh, okay like it's literally impossible that you fizzle if you have scrap trawler ironworks and like the right couple looping artifacts in your graveyard or on your deck so you can scoop a little bit earlier with the old builds there's always like this three percent chance that they're gonna like not draw <laughs> the the open the vault or the second sunrise and fizzle and you're like oh come on i can't scoop i can't scoop this could be the one i know they're gonna draw like 15 cards this turn but n- it's possible but none of those cards is the card they need. But I mean, at least this one you can yeah, You just play it out. You, you F6 and you hope the Tomer special comes where they actually have <laughs> you dead, but like through some series of misclicks, they actually screwed up their infinite combo and uh, you win. So it depends uh, how, how badly you need those play points, Seth. Do you actually want to sit it out or do you want to F6 and grab a coffee and hope they screw it up? <laughs> oh, I'm trying to find the person's name. I need to give a shout out to... Oh, where is it? Uh, well, I'll have to find it, but there was someone that tweeted me yesterday, because I always tell people that 8-Wack is the best budget deck to, like, start playing Tournament Modern with, so someone actually put the theory to the test. They picked it up, went to their first GP, they went, uh, they went 11-2 and two before losing the last two rounds, so wow. they were actually on camera in a feature match in round 14, and they kind of got a bad beat story there to some extent, so pretty impressive to see 8-Wag. I think they finished maybe 49th or some, somewhere in that range, so pretty impressive performance for first GP ever with 8-Wag. Yeah. Goblins. Other... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and we got new goblins coming, but that's a, a conversation for next week, so... Any other thoughts about Modern and the tournaments, Jason Bloodbraid, or... I don't know. I mean, I will say, Modern is doesn't look broken to me at this point. Like, I still have this worry kind of in the back of my head that once people really figure out Jace, it could be problematic. But at this point, just looking over the results from Moto, from the GPs... The format's still diverse. We're still seeing a lot of decks. A lot of the old decks are still playable. Like, Jun's better, Blue Moon's better, but Humans are still there, Nightfall's still there, Hate Bears are still there. So, a lot of the old stuff's still working. So, was this a, like, Chicken Little situation? The sky is falling. Like, did we freak out too much about Jace being unbanned? Or should we still be worried and it's just going to take people a while and Jace is still something we should be worried about? Yeah, I think... We overreacted for now. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Because remember when they unbanned Glagari Grave Troll? At first, it was like, yeah, ha ha, ha ha, whatever, it's fine, right? And then they printed, like, uh, like another discard spell or whatever. And then suddenly Dredge was the greatest deck ever. And everyone was freaking out. And they're like, oh, why did you unban this card? It's obviously broken. <laughs> so the narrative changes really fast. So we'll see how it goes. But it looks like there are enough decks suppressing jace decks that people won't play them so mid-range decks are free to do whatever they want currently 
So uh, right now the metagame looks pretty healthy. So as long as no one figures out how to break Jace, we're, we're cool for now, I think. Yeah, well, and I mean, it does take some time. We've seen this with a lot of cards that end up being modern staples. Uh, Collected Company is another great example where it kind of, like, the pieces were there, it floated around in the format, people b- tried it and built kind of, like, subpar builds of it, but after, like, six months to a year, that's when you start to see, like, the the cumulative knowledge of the community and of all this deck building and brewing, that's when it finally starts to pay off and you start to see more optimal lists. So I feel like we're still really early as far as Jay's. So, like, I'll be interested to check back in, like, six months and a year after it's unbanned and see if people, like, finally figured out, like, the perfect Jace deck, the optimal build, the support cards, and then see where we're at in the format. So it could just be that we haven't gotten there yeah, yet. Yeah, never have I wanted a modern Pro Tour so badly, like, <laughs> right now. <laughs> we, I mean, we have the Corset Pro Tour, which is split format, but we'll get to see some modern at least, so that should be interesting. We got a little wait. We have standard next, but the second Pro Tour is, uh, is the split format thing. Anyway... I guess that uh, wraps up our modern discussion. So, Richard, MTG Arena, we talk about Arena every now and then. Both of us have intentionally avoided getting into the beta for one very specific reason. So, what's changing, Richard, that might mean we end up in the beta? All right. This week, they're removing the NDA, which means uh, you can talk about whatever you want (laughs) in any forum. So, that means we're going to get onto the beta and finally try this out we've been avoiding it because we didn't have to well, you know watch our words and accidentally leak something and get in trouble and stuff like that so it's just easier if everything's out in the open so we're gonna get to try out arena this week and uh see what the hype is about and what everyone's been talking about because we've only been look watching streams and reading threads and stuff we actually haven't tried it so now we actually get to try it so where is your hype level now that you finally like we've been hearing about arena for a long time now maybe going close to a year since we first heard about it and then we've had the stream since like last fall are you more hyped less hyped now that you're finally going to get a chance to play it this week uh, my hype level is pretty low, Seth. <laughs> Almost every comment I've heard about Arena is negative. Uh, I'm just hoping people are just being, you know, overly negative because they care so much. They want it to be a great product, but we'll see when I get my heads on it. But, you know, after the initial reveal, just nothing but complaints about economy, about graphics, about speed, about just everything. So I don't know what to expect anymore. So we're going to find out this Wednesday. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to try it out for myself. I'm kind of in a somewhat similar place where you hear all this stuff, but you haven't really experienced it, and it's hard to know, like, the economy is a great example. Like, there's just going to be a group of people that are going to freak out if it's not, like, essentially free. Like, you log in and you have a Tier 1 deck in the first week of playing it, and that's probably, like, unrealistic to expect that. But then there's probably a group of people that have pretty legitimate concerns about something like the economy that maybe Wizards needs to take into account, but that's the kind of stuff that's really hard to parse through without having that firsthand, like, experiential aspect of it. I will say, one thing about getting rid of the NDA now, which is really weird to me, is they don't really have a format. Like, 
there is an update coming, so I guess there's some chance that this changes, but right now there's not even full standard on the beta, and there hasn't, at least up to this point, been limited implemented yet, even though it was supposed to be like a couple months ago, but the deadline has gotten missed or whatever, so... I don't know what you do with it right now, other than just be like, oh, okay, I'm like checking this out, seeing what the platform's like, the animations, the economy, because like weird half standard, isn't that appealing? There's no limited. So is that a, do you think that's a bad choice from Wizards to not like either push back the NDA drop until there was a format or like somehow hurry up the introduction of full standard to have a format? To yeah, play? what have like, people have been playing? They've been playing like block instructed? <laughs> yeah, they have been playing block, and now it gets even weirder because for some reason, with the update that's coming along with the NDA drop, they're putting Amonkhet into the format, but not Kaladash. So now you're going to have, like, two, not even block, which at least with block, you can argue, like, oh, this is, like, kind of a real format. There used to be block constructed Pro Tours. Now it's just, like, two-thirds of standard. It's not even block anymore. Yeah, that's... I I mean, as a player, we like to complain, but from Watsi's perspective, like, they're not going to get enough people playing. You want people playing nonstop and giving feedback and running into bugs and stuff, but if you're not playing a real format, are you going to play nonstop? Like, it's a little weird. They should have at least had either draft or standard, like, one of the two, so that people are incentivized to play, like, you know, they would actually play uh, Arena for real, but half block is just strange. Yeah, I think from my perspective, that's the biggest problem right now is like, what do I do with this? Like, I don't know if there was standard or there was limited. I would definitely imagine like trying it out for streams, maybe trying it out for like a budget magic or something to see what the feedback is. But I'm not really that interested in being like, oh, we're going to play weird half standard this week on budget magic. Because what is that? That doesn't do anything for anyone outside of like the very niche group that is in the beta community. Like, I guess it's good for them, but it doesn't help paper players or magic online players or any of the other people so i don't know i wish there was a real format because then i would definitely try it out a lot more for various content stuff but as it is now i'll definitely try it out and i'm excited to just see what it's about but man it's going to be hard to use it for any series or streams or anything on a consistent basis until there's a little more implemented to it yeah i mean if they're gonna launch soon they gotta pick up the pace of releasing sets right like you would assume they would they would have been able to do standard. You know, if we have any hope for modern or any hope for legacy, they need to be able to implement new sets like very quickly. And uh, the pace at which they're doing it is not very encouraging. So hopefully they can pick up pick it up, and you know, within a couple of weeks we have full standard, and uh, you know we can actually test uh, real decks and you know play like we would actually play Magic. Yeah, I mean, I assume that we'll have, well, we definitely will have full standard come rotation, but it's just, like, weird timing to have everyone streaming and talking about, because I imagine, like, I imagine this hurts, like, the response wizards will get, because if you had full standard, people would at least be able to focus on that a little bit, but without full standard, I feel like a lot of people who are, like, writing articles and streaming, instead of being focused on, like, oh, I'm playing this cool standard deck, it'll be, like, really focused on the good and the bad of Arena, like, it'll be higher scrutiny, because that's kind of all you got to talk about. You can't talk about your cool standard deck, you can't talk about your first draft pick, you're just talking about, like, the client itself, and I don't I don't know if 
having like that much scrutiny on the client is where you want to be in a beta process. It still like seems fairly early in the process. So I don't know. It should be an interesting week. I expect there'll be a flurry of articles and streams and videos. And I'm going to be really interested to see where the community comes out on this. Seth, as a streamer, what is your prediction for how this will all turn out? Because everyone will try to stream this thing uh, as it comes out. Do you think the community reaction will be positive, negative? What do you think the net result for Watsi will be for Arena here? Oh, man. That is that is the question. Uh, right now, I think I'm a little worried because it feels like it's kind of starting in a hole. Like, if you look back at the response to Arena, it was, like, fairly hyped when it first came out. And then I feel like the mood like somewhat shifted through the beta process over the last several months to where now people are kind of indifferent or some people are actively like against arena or like against some of the aspects of arena. So I really don't know. I definitely have a big worry that once we can analyze all the numbers of like the economy, that it's going to actually show that unless you're just grinding, 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 it's going to be like as expensive as magic online or more expensive. And I feel like that's going to be a hard thing for people to overcome. Cause if you look at the problems with magic online, like the things that people complain about are it's too expensive. Number one, and it's too buggy. And if arena is equally as buggy and equally expensive, like, I don't think that solves anyone's concern. So I don't know. I'm kind of waiting to see because they promise there's a big update coming alongside the NDA drop. So maybe that takes care of a lot of the concerns. Maybe it's going to be way better than it is right now. And a lot of people's concerns have been answered, but I don't know. I think there's a decent chance that it ends up being a really big, like uh, a lot of complaining, a lot of people freaking out this weekend, but we'll see. I'm hoping that maybe the update means that doesn't happen. What do you think? Like, what do you think the response is going to be immediately this weekend? I think Wizards going to regret this decision. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're right that it's a bit premature uh, unless they release it with the full format because the first thing everyone will ask is, what deck are you playing? And every streamer will, be, have, to, will have to say, I'm playing this janky deck because half standard is supported. And just right off the bat, you have a bad impression of the program, regardless of what else happens, you know, and I'm sure there'll be actual bugs and UI issues and stuff like that. But just starting off with the, we're not even supporting real standard, like that just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So I don't know. I, I think people have been very critical of Arena. So having the spotlight on it now will just bring that out further. But maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. Maybe they actually did do a big update, and it will be very polished, but... And, I mean, Wizards is fighting, like, the perception of them in digital altogether. Like, that's the other thing. Like, even just making Arena, they're already fighting against the perception of a lot of people that, like... Uh, I think Moto gets more hate than it deserves, but a lot of people think Moto's really bad and that Wizards is really bad at doing digital things. So Wizards, like, already has to, like, just overcome that perception from square one. So I don't know if releasing Half Standard is a way to, like, do that. I feel like Wizards to get over like that hump, I think they, it really has to be so good. Like when they drop the NDA and people are streaming and talking about it, 
I think it's got to be really, really good, or else people are just immediately going to be like, oh, Wizards, like, sucks at making digital games, here's another bad game that they made, so I'm definitely nervous for it, because I would like to see Arena succeed, like, I would like to see it, like, draw more people into the game and compete with Hearthstone, and all the, like, best-case scenarios would be so good, but I'm a little worried that the way they're going about it is setting themselves up for failure a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't like how it seems like they're struggling to just put the game together. Like, the kind of the narrative from them is like, oh, it's so hard to put cards in the game and the rules <laughs> interactions and things like that. Whereas I was actually hoping for announcements about, oh, yeah, you know, watch the Pro Tour, you know, get get a Pro Tour token and then play the deck online in Arena for free or something, right? Or, you know, here are, you know, ways to support your favorite Pro Tour team. Or here are skins. Or here, here are the, DL- the optional DLC you can get and stuff like that, right? They're not actually talking about any of that. They're not talking about the ranking system, the ladder, the seasonal rewards, kind of the stuff you expect in a game nowadays. All they're saying is like, oh, we're trying really hard to make stuff look like magic, which is great, but that's kind of just like the bare bones for the game, right? So I feel like they're really struggling to get that done, and they're not even focused at all on kind of the... 2018 other aspects of gaming right so that's where i'm a little concerned and that's basically moto right like if you got a bunch of engineers to make moto like that that's what would result right like it's functional it works kind of right you can play (laughs) magic but it isn't pretty it isn't you know spicy it isn't you know a game or anything like that it's just functional and i'm worried arena's headed there so i i really hope they you know kind of amp up the hype and announcements uh, around the other aspects of the game that they should be working on and hopefully they are working on so i had this question pop into my mind about arena this week and i want to get your opinion on it so if you look at a game like hearthstone that is uh it's based on, like, other Blizzard's IP. Like, would Arena have been better if, instead of trying to make it magic, they made a magic-esque game designed for digital? I think what made me think of this is we heard that uh, Richard Garfield, like, designed mm-hmm. this digital game that is, like, somewhat magic-y, but it's its own thing designed specifically for digital. Like, does Wither, did Wizards go about it wrong? Should they have just, like, kept magic online if you want to play real magic and made this, like, the sweetest magic IP digital game that's sort of magic-esque possible? I like that. I mean, there are things you can do to kind of satisfy both. Like, for example, if you wanted to be true to the game, you would need to have cards representing lands, right? But would would anyone have complained if you change your lands into kind of like the Hearthstone mana? Where it's not like you get free mana every turn, but kind of your lands are uh, shown in a different way. And, uh, you know, you, you don't need to interact with them as cards but they're just kind of there and there's ways to add mana and that would significantly clean up your board so that you can actually display things correctly right so i think there are ways they can satisfy both but i think they they need to prioritize digital if they want digital to be good right because if you wanted to copy paper magic at the end of the day paper magic always looks the same right you have a play mat you have a bunch of cards all over the place and you need to make room for all of them so in that sense, you can't really do much to take advantage of the digital experience. So if they warped it a bit, kind of like Hearthstone or Eternal, uh, simplify some of the things, uh, that, that would help out. Because, I mean, in all honesty, 
for all its flaws, I think Magic Online is actually a pretty good representation of Paper Magic. Like, it does a good job of doing that. And you're right that Paper Magic isn't necessarily fast-paced and isn't really designed for digital. So making another game that's just, like, an exact copy of Magic Online and also Paper Magic, like... I don't know. I don't know if that's what keeps Magic Online from succeeding. Like, I don't think... I guess the question is, beneath it all, is it just that Magic, in its paper form, designed 25 years ago, isn't a game that can succeed in digital form? (laughs) And I think that's, like, a realistic question. Like, it's way more complicated than Hearthstone. There's way more interactions. You have this stack, and there's just, like, so much more that goes into it. So, I don't know. Like, I'm starting to come around to the idea that something, if you really want a digital representation of Magic, that your ceiling is, like, kind of like a slightly spruced up magic online because a lot of the challenges of digital magic are that you're trying to represent magic in digital form not that magic online is clunky yeah but i think arena does kind of a good job at that like the tapping lands thing you just you know click on your spell and it automatically taps lands like you would do as a sane person right so you don't actually have to go through and click all your lands so it does do those shortcuts for you so it does kind of get there uh, okay. So, so I don't know. Like, as long as they do it right, right? Like, if they know that in 99% of the time, players always do this, then it should just automatically be done. And in that 1% of the time, you have a button, which is full control mode, to go do what you actually want it to do. As long as that happens, I think it should be good. But uh, I think on, on top of Magic Online, you can build so much more. You can build, like, a ladder system, a ranking system, seasonal rewards... You know, I've I've played so many games where people spend thousands of dollars on optional items to just make themselves look better, right? (laughs) Like, why does Magic Online not have such a thing? You know, I'll pay for a Golden Urza portrait or whatever, you know? Like, stuff like that they really need to add. And Magic is about expressing yourself at the end of the day, right? You see this with people in real life, you know, sleeves, tokens, foiled out decks, special lands and stuff. And on Magic Online, you can't, do it to the same extent so i really do hope they build it into arena somehow and i hope there's a greater reward than taking a screenshot of yourself with most number of trophies for you know for the uh (laughs) two hours you managed to hold it uh you know there's something much better than that so i I hope they do work on their rewards and uh incentivizing players to play more hours right because today the only incentive you have is to get better at magic and not a lot of people care, right? A lot of people just play Magic to have fun, not to become the next LSV. Uh, so, Richard, before we move on to our uh, our next topic, give me the one thing that you are looking for most with this NDA release. What's the, the most important thing that you want to see to have... Have you feel comfortable that the game is going to be a success over the long run? Like, what's the biggest thing you're looking for? In general, like, should it be? I know it's not there already. So should well, I, I mean, should I have knowing it what we already know, like, there's we know we don't have standard. We know, like, within the confines of what we already know about Arena, like, what are you looking for? It works. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the number one thing I want is a proper ladder, but I know it's not there right now. So, given what we have, like. And the sets we have, it just needs to work, 
right? Like if I can play block constructed Ixalan or whatever without it crashing, lagging my computer, you know, being fluid and doing what I want to do, I guess that's all we can expect at this point. So okay, so like the works. actual functionality of it, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think for me, like, I think that's a good one. I'm also really looking at the economy stuff. I think that's, for me, the biggest sticking point. Like, just how much does this actually cost? Uh, how easy is it to build decks? That's been the big thing I've been asking about for months now. So I'm excited to see the answer to that. Hopefully they... Hopefully they got it figured out. So we will see the NDA drops on Wednesday, I believe, or the update is on Wednesday, and then the NDA drops on Thursday. So if you're interested in Arena, definitely expect to see some content coming out over the next uh, week or two as we kind of explore and see what it's like. So anyway, transitioning from Arena to our last non-fishmail topic. So Richard... There's been a bit of an uproar this weekend about cheating in Magic and how you handle people that cheat at Magic. So what brought this topic to the forefront is Alex Bertoncini was, I think, 8-1 and one or something, like near the top of the standings at day one at GP Phoenix. And if you're not familiar with Bertoncini, he was kind of infamously banned for cheating, for casting multiple explorers was one of the biggest things. And then he was actually banned again, I think, for drawing multiple cards in Brainstorm. So he's been banned at least twice that I'm aware of. And a lot of people were talking about this, like, like, is it right that he's playing Magic? What do you do in these situations? Did you lifetime ban people for cheating? So, Richard, what is your... Did you follow any of this conversation? And what's your take on it? Yeah, I I think it's ridiculous that he's still playing. I mean, <laughs> I, I understand a line needs to be drawn somewhere, right? And you don't want to ban people that accidentally cheat. You know, we, we've all drawn that extra card. We thought Ponder was a Brainstorm or Brainstorm was a Ponder. And we kind of just did the wrong thing. And, you know, you, you should get a DQ for that or whatever, fine, right? And But after if someone has reviewed your case, you've been banned once. You've been banned twice <laughs> for, like, years. Why are you still allowed to play, right? Like, I, I think that's very lenient. In this case, I think he's so extreme that it's ridiculous that he's still playing, right? But the question is, where do you draw the line and... You know, how many accidental cheats or my, oh, oops, you know, it was a mistake. Do you let before you ban someone for life? But I do find it funny that uh, there was like a, uh, one of the top Reddit comments in that thread was, you know, wizards out here are policing like social issues, handing out lifetime bans on, you know, people's political stances and things like that. But of the one thing they're supposed to do, which is prevent people from cheating, that's like what the DCI is supposed to do. Like they're not doing it, right? So in this case, I think he should be banned, right? He has like a clear history of cheating multiple times. He served multiple banned sentences. I don't know why he's still allowed to play. He obviously hasn't reformed. Uh, but the question in the long term is like, where do you draw the line? After how many bans are you lifetime banned? And how do you prevent people from being accused of cheating when they're not cheating, right? Sometimes you actually drop that card on your lap by accident, right? <laughs> like, you know, you don't want to just get banned for life out of nowhere. You know, what is the process through which you're judged and how do you appeal it and stuff like that? I feel like that's not very clear and we haven't really done much to progress that front. Yeah, I think... I think I agree with you about Bertoncini in specific. Like, he is kind of a almost notorious cheater, I guess you would say. Like, not only was he banned, but he was one of those people that had just so many 
things surrounding him as far as cheating and weird things and people talking about it. Not that you just... Uh, not that you just go on unsubstantiated rumors to ban someone, but when you have, like... 50 different people saying something sketchy was going on when we played like uh, the chances are like something sketchy was going on and then eventually he did get caught to the point where he was banned for stuff multiple times so with someone like that it's hard I mean I I don't think you should ban people for life for the first time they get banned I think it definitely makes sense to ban someone I uh, hope they can change their ways and come back and then if they get caught cheating again then I would be more on board with all right just like get rid of that person which would mean Bernchini would fall into that camp as someone that's just had had too many chances and not learn from it not changed but I think like uh, there's just so much gray area it's so hard to know like it's so hard to set those limits. Like I was talking about this on Twitter and uh, you, it, it sounds good to say, Oh, if someone gets caught cheating or banned for cheating twice, the second time should just be a lifetime ban. But you have situations where it's just not that clear where the cheating is like stalling. Like uh, who was the guy that was, that was banned for stalling. I think he was actually banned twice and then uh, is not in the hall of fame because of, is it Sato? Sato? One of, one of the Japanese players, like, and that's like, that's different to me for some reason than hiding a card in your lap or drawing, you know, extra cards and doing those things consistently. So it's really hard for me to just say, oh, if you get suspended twice, the second time you're banned for life, because I think there is some gray area there. But I don't know. I feel like Wizards needs to have some more guidelines, because I think the criticism of the Bernchini situation, where if you go sit and play against that person, he's almost getting free percentage points, because you're not just trying to beat him playing Magic, you're trying to uh, beat him playing Magic, and make sure that he's not cheating you, so you're watching every car he draws, doing all this stuff, instead of thinking about your game plan, like, I think that's a, a fair point with someone that has just done that over and over and over again, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's the community is so split on what is cheating. Like if you ever watch or read Twitch chat during a pro tour, right? Every game's rule violation <laughs> is like, oh my god, he's cheating, right? But you don't get this in other sports. Like when when you know there's an offensive lineman holding someone in NFL, do you yell out cheating? Yeah. Right? Do you like, oh my god, he's a cheat? No, right? You're just like, okay, that's that's a penalty, right? And in Magic, it's the same thing, right? Oh, okay, that's a game loss, or that's a rewind the board state or something, right? But because people are so emotionally invested, oh, like, oh, there's some advantage being gained here, and they remember that one time that it happened to them, they feel very worked up, and it's cheating, and the pitchforks come out, and I, I don't know what to do, because in one sense, they're right. But in the other sense, you know, it actually just is a games rule violation. After playing 10 hours of Magic, maybe you forgot and drew an extra card or played an extra land or something, right? So figuring out intent from this is very hard, right? So I think that when you do get banned, you know, there should be a council or something and they, they have to do some research and look at your history of play and how many times has it happened and stuff like that. And from that, determine whether you should be banned uh, and if it's a lifetime ban, the same thing should be happen uh, should happen. And the problem is, eventually one day someone will get a lifetime ban when it was actually just a series, you know, a series of mishaps or whatever, and it wasn't intentional. But I don't know, right? Uh, you you got to draw the line somewhere. And when you draw the line, some people will fall onto the wrong side of the line. 
But I think in this case, he is so far past the line that it's not really great anymore. Like, he should just go, right? They should make an ex a special exception for him. But long term, you need to draw the line somewhere and start enforcing it. Because otherwise, it becomes a joke, right? Like, if known cheaters keep playing Magic, like, why would, why would you be incentivized to play fair? Right? It's just... Yeah. It, it just becomes really awkward for competitive magic and the competitive spirit. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I agree with you. I guess my worry is, like, from my perspective, if I just went and started playing GPs as someone who spent the last, I don't know how many years, playing almost exclusively magic online where... Uh, it's great for learning how to play magic, but a lot of stuff is done automatically. Like all your triggers just kind of go on the stack. And so I could definitely see myself if I played 15 rounds at a GP and I would mess up sooner or later, I'm pretty sure. Like, especially when I first started playing like seriously in paper, because I'm just so used to Moto doing that. So I can definitely see how someone could do things that might look like cheating that definitely weren't cheating because I would know my intention when I missed a trigger wasn't to cheat it's that I'm just like not used to managing triggers in paper but yeah so I guess I could see that side of it too but I do agree with you as far as Burton Sheeny he's pretty far across the line and I'm not sure I'm not sure what wizards will do so I guess the next question is do you think based on this uproar wizards will do anything they've clearly shown that uh, they can just kind of ban people. Like, we've seen multiple examples of that for things uh, over the course of recent years where wizards are just like, eh, we don't want you playing Magic anymore and you're not playing Magic anymore. Like, is there any chance that based on this uproar they actually do just ban Burton Sheeny again? I, I don't think they'll just ban him, like, out of nowhere. I think what they'll do is watch him like a hawk and as soon as he stumbles, use that as an excuse to ban him. Because it'd be very awkward if, like, yeah, he didn't cheat, but because of Reddit thread, we, we banned. Like, that would be weird, right? But they'll just wait for the next time he slips up, and then they'll jump on that as the excuse to ban him for life. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, and uh, you can bet that opponents will be watching him. And I guess the kind of the most important thing in this whole conversation is situations like that definitely show why it is important to call a judge, even if it's, like, something that you're like, oh, my opponent probably did make an honest mistake, because with someone like Burton Genie, where it's, there were a couple things that finally were, like, on camera, and that's what led to the bannings, but there were so many stories about it where you really want to document the track record of that stuff. And an honest player who makes a mistake, like, they're probably not going to have, you know, multiple opponents every event they play that are, like, reporting to the judge that they drew extra cards and stuff like that. So, definitely if you see something weird going on, definitely worth to call a judge, just so you have that track record with someone like Burton Genie, because I think that plays into it. And that plays into what we were talking about, like having some sort of council or group that determines those things. If you look at someone who every GP is having multiple of these weird situations that maybe they were cheating maybe it was an honest mistake but after 10 of those or 20 of those or 50 of those uh, then you start to think okay like either you're just really bad at magic or you're actually cheating here oh uh, wait till we have high level tournaments on magic online or magic arena <laughs> i remember kind of the the hearthstone threads where because you know hearthstone has a lot of online tournaments and then you have Reddit detectives where they zoom in on the guy's glasses and they can see the reflection of the third monitor showing the other streams oh. screen and stuff like that. And oh, just wait wait for that, like, next level cheating for online tournaments in Magic Arena. 
Oh, that's actually really interesting. I wonder, I wonder how they'll handle that. Cause with Magic Online, for the really high EV events that are on camera, they actually just make the people go to the place and play, yeah. like, to avoid that. So I wonder, I wonder if, what they'll do with Arena. Yeah, they'll I have really to do that as well. That. If you, you can't, you can't allow streaming of any online event because then the players can just watch the stream. Even if there's a delay, say a 10 minute delay. Uh, if you get to know your opponent's opening hand, you can still disseminate a lot of information based on you know what happened during the game. So for those really high level events uh, where it actually matters, you're gonna have to fly everyone in and uh, kind of have like a an actual literal magic arena for people to play in. Yeah, like a pro tour with everyone sitting at their computers. <laughs> iPads, iPads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but not Macs. Can't use Macs. Oh yeah, that's they right. They can't even use iPads, can they? I, I thought they said they were going to eventually support this. Oh yeah. Well, we'll oh, see. We'll yeah. see how long it takes. We forgot. There's no phone support, Mac support, iPad support. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Oh uh, well. Any final thoughts on on anything, Richard? Before we get to the fish mail. Uh, nope. I just hope Arena goes well i'm not ready for the amount of salt that will come out oh <laughs> uh, yep yep i'm already i'm getting my typing fingers ready <laughs> no actually i just i just want to write an article that can actually break down the economy i don't want to write like a salty article i just want to know like this like really in numbers this is what it costs and this is how it compares to other games this is how it compares because we've had some articles like that in the past but we just don't really have solid numbers so there's so much conjecture and guessing involved but after we actually see the economy that's the that's what i'm most looking forward to is actually being able to break down the numbers on it mm-hmm. anyway let's uh let's do some fish mail all right if you have your questions send them to at mtg goldfish with the hashtag mtg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air so first question eric ranko uh every time i see your play points seth you always have play points that end up in one i.e 231 play points i've never had a non-zero or five number how did you get that one play point seth <laughs> so when they first started play, uh, doing play points, they converted, oh man, I don't remember what the pre-play points were, but there was like another fake currency that they converted to play points when they switched to the play point system. And I just happen to have an odd number there. So I've been, I've been cursed with it forever. I can't get <laughs> rid of that one. I think I can probably email them and be like, could you please take away this one play point? But I don't know. I guess it's a good conversation starter. Good fish mail question generator. <laughs> one day they'll release a reward that costs one play point, Seth, and you can purchase it. I'll, I'll be the only one that can purchase it. <laughs> the only you one you need exactly one. Like, exactly, they don't, get, they yes. don't give change. Like, it has to be one. <laughs> yes, this bot does not save credit. <laughs> LJBFGC, do you think Japanese the small Japanese tournaments are playing wacky decks just to mess with you? I hadn't considered that. I want, I guess if you go to Hariruya or Hallelujah, whatever it is, tournaments, and uh, know that I use them for instant deck decks, you could. I mean, you still got to go like undefeated with it. So, but maybe I, I I don't know. I think that honestly, I think what it is is most of the tournaments that we see are only really big tournaments. So the ones that they publish on the Hallelujah site are like 20 players, a lot of them. So you naturally just have, it's easier to make a top eight in a 20 player tournament where everyone's playing like 
fun decks or something. So if every, imagine if every FNM or whatever in the U.S. was published somehow as a deck list, I'm sure we'd find tons of crazy decks that somehow they played against a new player, they had an opponent not show up or had to leave early and somehow ended up 3-0. That, that sounds like all of my uh, <laughs> release <laughs> events, where it's like, this deck doesn't seem good, but then, like, first round opponent's asleep, second round opponent went to get pizza, <laughs> third round, uh, same same person in the same situation as me, and then someone manages to win. <laughs> oh, I forgot, Richard, did you play Did you play 25th Masters? Oh, I, I did not. Did you, Oh, Seth? okay. Uh, I played it online. We streamed one online uh, and recorded a rough draft, but I didn't go to play one in paper. It's fine. It's definitely different than other Masters sets, as far as limited is concerned. That sounds but. very reserved. <laughs> Usually you're all over Master set drafts. I don't know. It's definitely much different. If Most Master sets drafts, they have like very solid themes that you're trying to build into, and this set doesn't seem like that. It's just kind of like you're building good stuff decks and hoping that you randomly get a two-card combo that is in this set, or a three-card combo that's in this set. So I don't know what to make of it, actually. It's just so much different than past Master sets. I don't think it's bad, and I've had a lot of fun with some of the drafts, but it's definitely a different flavor than when you... Some of the Master sets, you like get in the right archetype, and you find what's open, and you build like the Nut Thalid deck, and it feels like you're almost playing a constructed deck if you get in the right lane and like manage to do that but this that doesn't really have that it's more like uh, did i get a two card combo to play with my other good stuff and so i don't know it's fine i don't think i would rank it near the top of my master set limited but it's it's in the middle somewhere all right uh next question vega says do you ever dab after games of magic uh what's dab what like dabbing like like cam newton dabbing oh no no i I, no, no, I don't think I ever have actually. Yeah, I, I may, I may have never actually just dabbed ever in my life, <laughs> especially after games of Magic. We're like, oh, Blood Braid Elf, Insane Lightning Bolt, dab. No, no. Uh, you should start doing that when you go to your next F and M, Richard. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> how they do. Good Blood Braid hits. Yeah. <laughs> when when Bob draws the fifth land in a row, that that calls for his celebratory dab, right? <laughs> All right, Mint Black Lotus. What is the correct mana cost of a spell that just says, draw a card? If it is zero, would that be okay for modern or standard? (sighs) Not zero. We know zero is not the right answer because we have Gitaxian Probe, which costs two life and is not not safe. (laughs) It's got to be... It's got to be like... Oh man, I guess one. I was gonna say slightly less than one. Like I feel like one one isn't good enough. We have cards yeah. that just literally say draw a card for one mana and they don't see play. So like point seven five or something might be the right Probably mana cost. Half. Like uh like Opt doesn't even see that much play. Yeah. Serum Visions is one and it lets you scry two. What about suspend? What if it was like uh the bobble where it's suspend one or suspend two? Would, would would that be playable? If it was zero mana, suspend one, draw a card? Yep. Ugh. Maybe in, like... No. 
I don't think so. Maybe in specific decks, like if you're somehow trying to like time the suspend for storm or something like that, but I don't think that would actually be very good. I think the Phyrexian life question is more interesting. Like, what is a discounting Death Shadow in those fringe <laughs> situations, which you always got to start the conversation with that. How much life would make Cataxian Probe fair? And it might be like five. Like, I think you're looking at f- at least four, maybe five before people would stop playing that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's tough. I, I, I would pay, actually, you know, I don't know if I would pay four life for this. I think four, four, I think. I think two, I would still jam it in every deck. Three starts getting questionable. And by the time you get to four or something, like only specific decks would do this. That they actually don't care about their life total at all. Yeah. Uh, next question 11 Vicious. Since the Dominaria leak, a new mox has been spoiled, but no one is really talking about it. Is it that bad, or does no one know what to do with it? Can you brew the spices of jank with both modern legal moxin? Ooh. Uh, that's a, that's a tough one. I think the new mox is the worst mox that we've seen, but what is it? What is its activation condition? Uh, so it is uh, zero mana and it taps to add a mana. Uh, I actually got to look this up. It's basically, you have to have a legendary creature or planeswalker for it to tap for mana. I'm not a hundred percent sure if it says it just taps for a mana of any color. If you meet the condition or it's like command tower where it taps for a color of, of a legendary creature or planeswalker you control. Add one mana of any color among legendary creatures and planeswalkers you control. So that's even, like, a bigger restriction, so you actually have to have a permanent of the right cost. So what I've seen people trying to do with this card looks pretty bad. Like, Isumaru and other one-mana legends, you're like, ah, I play that with my land, then I play my Mox Amber, then I play another one-drop, and I gotcha. So I don't know. I think it's fine, but I think this is definitely very safe as far as Mox are concerned. Uh, if only land was an option there, it might become more reasonable. But what's gonna happen is you're like land a uh, Zergo Bell Striker Mox Amber play my second Zergo Bell Striker because I needed enough of them in my deck to activate <laughs> this Mox Amber, but since they're legendary, I can't use them, so it's a little awkward. But I mean, maybe it is an artifact, so it does work with Mox Opal, and I guess you can like play a Jace Friends Prodigy on turn two Mox Amber Thoughtseize or something, so. I think it's that people will definitely try to brew around it because it's just like Moxin are so inherently powerful, but it seems like the hardest Mox to actually break, even harder than Mox Opal, which has a pretty like severe restriction on it. I think this one is significantly harder to make work than Mox Opal. Yeah, and typically if you're playing these Moxin, you're trying to do unfair things, and legendary creatures and planeswalkers don't <laughs> usually fit in the same decks. Yeah. All right. Next question. Alden B4610, how do you go about asking to verify if your opponent's cards are real or counterfeit? I found that fakes are way more prevalent than I once thought, but I don't want to offend my opponent. I uh, personally, and this is just me personally, I would have to like see something that had me 100% convinced it was fake for me to actually broach that topic. It just seems so risky if you're wrong. Like... I would, I just don't want to be that guy. (laughs) So, but that's just me personally, and I could very well be wrong, but it would take a lot for me to actually be like, hey, is that a, that card you're playing over there fake? 
I personally don't care. I mean, I used to play a lot of Legacy, and a lot of people played with fake cards, where, like, they were, like, so fake, like, there's, like, no question about it. But I don't really care. If you actually cared about this, though, what do you do? You call a judge, and then the judge comes and looks at it, and they're like, it's fake, and then what? Do they get a game loss, or do they just replace with a basic land? Like, what exactly happens? Because some percentage of people just buy their cards off eBay, they get a fake, they don't even know. Right. Yeah. So if if you're that person, like, what do you do? Or if you're a person that intentionally put fake cards or proxies in your deck, like, what what exactly happens? I don't even know what happens from an actual uh, judging perspective. I've definitely heard of situations where people didn't know, and the judge allowed them to go and buy a copy of the card from the store and mm-hmm. put it in their deck. So, but that's I think it's different. Most likely, if you're intentionally and admit that, like, oh, I bought a bunch of these Chinese fakes and I built my deck out of them. So, I think that the judges, from what I've heard, are pretty forgiving. If it really is accidental, they're not gonna like try to really stick it to you. But if you're doing it on purpose, it might be different. Because I think Wizards takes a pretty hard line on that. Uh, uh, Bruno Alzaguire, we actually do have a Planeswalker from the pre-constructed deck. Chandra, Bold Pyromancer, and I think it's better than Jaya. What do you guys think? Uh, looking up this card. Time to Google. Where did we get this from? I think it was in the leak. Oh, it was in the leak? It was in the leak, yeah. Alright, Chandra, Bold Pyromancer, 6 mana, 5 loyalty, plus 1, add 2 mana, deals 2 damage to target player. Negative 3, deals 3 damage to target creature or planeswalker. Negative 7, deals 10 damage to target player and each creature and planeswalker they control. This actually feels like a Chandra that we've seen before. It reminds me of of one of the old Chandras. Uh, <laughs> the name is actually Chandra, Old Pyromancer? No. <laughs> oh, yes, Old Pyromancer. Um... It might be better than Jaya. I don't think it's good, though, but... uh, It it does things (laughs) to impact the board state, unlike Jaya. So I can see where that argument comes from, but it's also six mana and doesn't do that much for six mana. Yeah. I think Jaya is like Sahili Rai, where with the right cards around it, you can somehow break it and do something useful. Whereas Chandra, Bull Pyromancer is just going to always be mediocre. At best, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it is funny that uh, you. If I was drafting, I would definitely take Bold Pyromancer over Jaya Ballard. Yeah, I would too. Uh, next question, uh, Ian Charles Baker. Do you guys think Wizards should try some other reprinting strategies? I think they could reprint past sets for drafting experiences, such as a box of thirty-six boosters containing. Uh, like 12 Zendikar, 12 World Wake, and 12 Rise. Fuck. Yeah, I think it would be cool for Wizards to reprint boosters of some old past formats. Uh, I don't know about that exact breakdown. Maybe that would be cool, but I would definitely... like Some old booster sets are just so expensive to get a box now, and the draft formats were so great, but like Original Ravnica, uh, Rise of the Eldrazi, they're too expensive to just like buy a box and re-experience the draft format so i would love wizards to maybe like change the border or something slightly so it's not exactly the same as the original printing so there's still some like i don't know consideration for the people that bought the originals but i would love to see that from a limited perspective yeah do you think people would be upset like what if wizards had this stash of innistrad sitting around and at halloween they're like okay we're selling innistrad again so you can draft triple innistrad would people be like oh my god but i was hoarding a hundred innistrad boxes and now you crash the prices or would everyone be like yeah we can draft like 
I think it would... I think the general response would be good. Like, I don't think it hurts people any more than master sets as far as finances, unless you're, like, heavily speculating on hundreds of boxes, like you said. And I don't think the community at large cares that much about the people that are heavily speculating on hundreds of boxes. Like, they're, they're often the villains when you hear the community talking, so... Yeah, so why doesn't Watsi just do this? There are so many old sets that people want to draft, but... You know, before they reprinted Jace, like, boxes of World Wake were crazy, right? Like, why don't they just print more boxes of World Wake? Yeah, I think they should. I don't know why why they wouldn't. Other, Yeah, I don't know what the downside is, really. All right, next question. SL Kirsten's last podcast, you guys kept saying that the amount of legendary cards in Dominaria was good for Commander. How so? I understand that the downside it normally brings is not holding Commander, but what upside does it have? Uh, the big upside is you can play Legends as your Commander. So that's the main thing. Just like It gives you a bunch more cards you can build around in your Commander decks. Yeah, you can build around more cards and make things like Ape Tribal and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next question. The Inked Knight. Have you guys seen this video? Dude opens two 25th Masters boxes and gets nearly the exact same rares and mythics. Oh, uh, yes. That video. Um, did you see that video, Richard? No, but I assume um, he gets exactly the same rares and mythics across two boxes. Basically, yeah. So, it's definitely interesting. So far... I have not seen reports from people opening boxes that this is a common thing. So I think it's most likely a some sort of small-scale printing error. But it's uh, hard to really say. But I haven't heard just, like, tons of people on social media saying, oh, my God, I bought two boxes and they were exactly the same or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, the boxes aren't completely random. So this is bound to happen sooner or later, right? So someone's going to end up with this. And uh, maybe it's just a coincidence or maybe there actually was a problem and... Uh, more than the usual uh, were put together. Uh, next question, Alan PB. It's been more than three years of only voice content. Does it really bother you guys? No, wait. Does it really bother you guys when you do face cam content and people focus only on how much does your how much your face doesn't match your voice? <laughs> oh, that, that was a mouthful. <laughs> Uh, face cam content is just harder is one of the biggest things. Like, it would be a lot harder, more work, I think, to do the podcast live on camera. So, but I guess it doesn't bother me. I guess I've kind of gotten used to it slightly. So, I don't know. What's your take, Richard? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand why people have this weird image of us in their minds. <laughs> like, when I hear someone's <laughs> voice, I don't picture their face. I don't know. It just doesn't happen for me. So, I find it funny when someone says, oh, you know... Uh, I expected uh, Seth to look like Richard or something, Richard to look like Tomer, and people like have these like weird perceptions, and I'm like, I I don't know. I, I like whenever I hear a podcast or something, I don't actually picture someone's face in my head. It's just like some voice going on, so I, I don't actually have this perception. Uh, next question, Ian Matt, what modern deck should I play for four player games on the kitchen tabletop? I can manage two threats, but end up weak and vulnerable to the last player. Hmm. Wait, what was the first part of that again? I'm sorry. What card Mo should I play to manage deck. it? Modern deck in a four-player oh. game. Four-player modern. Ooh. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess you just want, like, catch-all type answers, cards that can deal with anything. Uh, Rass and Anguish Unmakings, cards like that seem like they would go up in value if you're playing against four different decks. 
Yeah, I wouldn't look at modern decks because modern decks are designed for one opponent. Uh, I think you should be looking more towards commander decks. And usually those kind of decks will play uh, cards that target more than one player, right? Because if you just target one player, you eventually run out of gas and then you just die. So you have things like Wraths or like uh, things that say you know, to every player or each player so that uh, your resources go further. So I would actually look more towards commander decks. Even though you guys are playing modern, you can look at the people, the cards people are playing in commander and then play four of those cards instead. Uh, D. Dortenly, I love how you said artifacts aren't historic. Do you know what the word actually means? Hint, <laughs> it's not a robot. Yes, but Watsy doesn't know what it means. Back <laughs> back in the day, artifacts were actually artifacts where you're like, oh look, it's a it's a mox or it's a black lotus. Nowadays it's like some dude's sunglasses. Right? <laughs> it's like a magnifying glass. They're not really historic artifacts anymore. They're kind of just like objects, I think, in today's <sighs> context. But originally they were actually artifacts when uh, magic was still quite young. I mean, weren't there like sunglasses in Alpha? What is the card? I can distinctly those remember were it. glasses or something. Yeah. Weren't they? <laughs> those were old glasses, but now we just have like random magnifying glass and like a random prism. I guess that is true. Like they're not as iconic or historic anymore as they used to be. Or like <laughs> it's literally a car, right? It's an artifact. <laughs> right? It's like a it's like a speedster roadster thing in Kaladesh. It's an artifact, even though we just made it like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next question, Sebastian Tans, Seth and Richard, what's your favorite TV shows of all time? Uh, hashtag Buff Slays, hashtag Angel. Hashtag, ooh, um, for me, gonna say, uh, Arrested Development, The Wire, and probably Breaking Bad? Hmm. All time is hard. I can, t- I can name you some of my favorite shows, I haven't really ranked them. But like of old shows, like Seinfeld, uh, a huge fan of mm, Married with Children, if any of you are old enough. I used to love as a kid, (laughs) even though it was like totally inappropriate at the time. (laughs) Newer shows like, I don't know, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, uh, How I Met Your Mother, kind of those kind of shows. They're all like sitcoms, apparently. I watch Buffy, too. Oh, what was that Jessica Alba show? Do you remember, Seth? Uh, Not the dolphin one. The other one. <laughs> the the I, sci-fi one. Oh, uh, no, she, I don't. She had the barcode. Oh, my God. <laughs> I need to I need to Google it right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, what was it called? <laughs> We're going to cut this out. What is it called? Dark Angel. Dark Angel. Oh, okay. Yeah, I sort of... I know what you mean. I don't think I ever watched that, though. Oh, it was, it was pretty good. All right. Uh, Bruno Alzaguire Magic Arena non-closure agreement will drop on March 22nd will you guys produce content on it? Seth are we streaming it on Thursday? Uh, unsure we'll see if I get into the arena I am planning on doing a like 
checking out Magic Arena stream. I don't know exactly if that'll be Thursday or like in the next week or two, but definitely planning on doing that. As far as regularly producing content with it, kind of refer back to what we were saying earlier with not having real formats. I just don't know what to do with that at this point, but we will test it out and see what people think of it. So <laughs> it's time to make Frontier, Seth. <laughs> Ovid kept forward <laughs> so we can play it on Magic Arena. <laughs> Oh, that's how they determine their formats now, <laughs> what they feel like programming into Arena. All right, QDig, is there a good place to go through different sideboard options for modern based on the current meta that might include the pros and cons of each options? Or is it too dependent on the deck you're playing for such a resource to exist? I think you could definitely make a article, I don't know if it exists, of just like common sideboard options and what they're for, but it is also partly dependent on the deck you're playing. So it would be hard to have, like, a definitive, like, always play these cards without knowing the specific decks. Yeah, you might be able to throw it together, like, oh, I need Artifact Hate. What are the best Artifact Hate cards in Modern? Or I need Graveyard Hate. Uh, But when you look at an actual sideboard, like, you need to take into account what's in the deck as well. Because every time you bring a card in, you're taking a card out, right? So it's possible to have too many cards to bring in or too little cards to bring in. So the actual sideboard configuration is pretty custom to each deck. But I think a general resource on kind of just general cards uh, would be pretty decent. I think I'll make one of those. That's actually, that sounds like a good thing. Just like, oh, best storm hate, best infect hate, best graveyard hate. I think that could be a good resource. What's the best, best blood moon hate, Seth? Uh, I That will not be included in the article. I don't want to encourage people to blow up my blood moons. Uh, Jay Temkins, can we get a daily, weekly tweet? slash alerts on trending winners and losers uh i don't know is that too spammy let me know in the comments if that's something you want to see or if it would just be too spammy kind of just tweeting out uh kind of daily winners and losers because you know i just go on the website to check it out right so let me know if you think that's a good idea or if that's too spammy (laughs) bruno alzaguire if a dolphin smokes would it put the cigarette in its mouth or the blowhole i assume the blowhole that's where they breathe, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's the blowhole, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, that... yeah. And plus, if they put it in their mouth, it would probably be do, more likely to Do they to breathe get wet. in through the blowhole, though? Or is it just out? <laughs> oh, that I don't know enough about dolphin breathing. <laughs> I just imagine they can stick the blowhole out of the water, though, because they couldn't get it wet and just have it like sticking up in the ocean like a little like a chimney on a boat sort of the little smoke going up well this is literally a fish mail question but then dolphins aren't fish so turns out i'm wrong <laughs> tokens 5t3 thoughts on the possibility that tron lands could be reprinted in dominaria no 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 way they're gonna put tron lands in standard they will get reprinted at some point but not in standard please for the love of god don't do that <laughs> all right last question vss will you dab for us next time you play D? <laughs> it's very hip and everyone wants you to is this the same person it's that asked us about dabbing earlier <laughs> yes it's vss <laughs> Is very very interested in the dab, Seth. <laughs> All right, I I I will I will look up some tutorials on how to dab, and uh, and I will consider it. I'll see if I can learn how to do it well enough. Maybe. <laughs> All right, that's all of our fishmail questions. Thank you, everyone, for sending them in. If you have questions, you can send them to the hashtag #MDGFishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Oh, I think that brings us to the end of episode 164 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. It's always fun. Yep. Always a pleasure, Seth. 
And thanks to everyone for listening. So we will be back next week. Dominaria spoilers will officially be started. So we'll have that to talk about. Maybe some arena impressions. So keep an eye out for that. Until then, thanks for listening. And this is the crew signing out. <laughs>